You're listening to the Pilot Photog Podcast. I'm your host, Juan, also known as Tog. Let's listen to the story of an airplane that needs no introduction, the A-10. The Fairchild Republic A-10 Thunderbolt II is a single-seat, twin-engine, straight-wing jet aircraft developed for the United States Air Force. Officially known by the Air Force as the Thunderbolt, its pilots refer to it as the Warthog or simply Hog. Notable features of the A-10 include vertical twin tails, engines that are above and separate from the fuselage, a straight wing, a large canopy, and of course, a fierce Gatling gun that protrudes out of the front like a mean cigar. The A-10 was and is the only Air Force aircraft designed primarily to support friendly ground troops over long periods of time, in a mission known as Close Air Support or CAS. Everything about the A-10 is about ground attack, straight wings for improved slow speed maneuverability, increased payload, and longer time on station, engines that are mounted above the wings to reduce hits from ground fire, a titanium bathtub to protect the pilot, and a stable gun platform to put rounds on targets. Few aircraft have performed as well in the cast role, and the A-10 simply dominates in this area. While initially conceived to attack large Soviet tank columns in Europe during the Cold War in a conflict that thankfully never erupted, the A-10 has gone on to have a second career as the ultimate support option for coalition troops on the ground in conflicts over the ensuing decades. With its distinct engine sound, an unforgettable Gatling cannon burst, the A-10 is beloved by friendly troops and absolutely feared by enemy forces on the ground. Here are some key specifications for this legendary airplane. Length 53 feet 4 inches. Wingspan 57 feet 6 inches. Height 14 feet 8 inches. Wing area 506 square feet. Empty weight 24,959 pounds. Maximum takeoff weight 50,000 pounds. Engines 2 General Electric TF34 GE100A turbofans generating 9,065 pounds of thrust each. Maximum speed, 381 knots at sea level. Combat radius, 250 nautical miles. Ferry range, 2,240 nautical miles. Service ceiling, 45,000 feet. Thrust to weight ratio, 0.36. When it comes to armament, the A-10 was literally built around its internally carried GAU-8A Avenger Gatling-style autocannon which is one of the most powerful aircraft cannons ever to take to the skies. The Avenger cannon fires at a rate of almost 4,000 rounds a minute, or about 70 rounds a second. And while that fire rate is slower than the 20mm M61 Vulcan's 6,000 rounds per minute, keep in mind that the A-10 is firing 30mm depleted uranium shells, which can penetrate all known tank armor. The Avenger cannon is optimized for a slant range of 4,000 feet, with the A-10 in a 30-degree dive. Aside from being devastating, the cannon is also accurate, being able to place at least 80% of its shots within a 40-foot radius. While the A-10 can carry up to 1,350 rounds, typical loadouts include 1,174 rounds, which is about 16 seconds of sustained fire. Aside from the deadly Avenger cannon, the A-10 has 11 hardpoints, 8 under wing and 3 are under the fuselage. This allows the A-10 to carry up to 16,000 pounds of ordnance in a wide variety of combinations. Some of the weapon options for the A-10 include bombs, unguided Mark 80 series bombs, 
cluster bombs, incendiary bombs, paveway laser guided bombs, JDAMs or joint direct attack munitions, rockets, LAU-61, LAU-68, or LAU-131 rocket pods, air-to-ground missiles, the infamous AGM-65 Maverick, air-to-air missiles, heat-seeking AIM-9 sidewinders for air-to-air defense. Defensively, the A-10 can equip ECM pods and flare and chaff dispensers. To further enhance targeting, the A-10 can also take the lightning pod. The weapon and loadout combinations that an A-10 can take are truly impressive and diverse. Next, we'll discuss the A-10 sensors. Originally, having been designed as a day ground attack aircraft, initial A-10s were not equipped with many modern avionics. However, the A-10 has received many avionics upgrades over its long service life. One of the first ones is easily visible, an appendage on the right side of the aircraft just behind the nose. Known as a paved penny, this is actually a laser receiver pod capable of receiving laser radiation from other laser designators, allowing for the use of laser-guided bombs. It is important to note that the paved penny can only receive laser signals, relying on other aircraft or troops on the ground to paint the target with their lasers. It wasn't until the early 1990s that A-10s received autopilot, and by the turn of the century, the A-10's avionics had been upgraded to include GPS. And finally, in 2005, the entire A-10 fleet was upgraded to the C model, which included multifunction displays, electronic countermeasures, smart bomb targeting, and helmet-mounted integrated targeting units, or HMITs, being added in 2010. From its beginnings as a simple day attack aircraft, the A-10 has evolved to include some of the most advanced targeting equipment today, making it even more lethal and accurate. Ultimately, the paved pennies are being replaced by lightning pods, which also can transmit their own laser signals. Although more effective, although more effective, it will be somewhat of a sad day to see the paved pennies go. We hardly knew you, paved penny. Farewell. So, how did the A-10 come to be? Following the end of World War II and the rise of the jet age, the Air Force concentrated on building faster and higher flying fighter planes. The design philosophy at this time was to intercept and destroy invading bombers using missiles, and that higher speeds and altitudes would equal higher survivability. While ground attack and support was always a role that the Air Force was tasked with, it was secondary to the air-to-air combat aspect. Most fighters at this time were also outfitted with the option of carrying tactical nuclear weapons which could be used in response to a mass invasion of ground forces by the then Soviet Union. What no one could have predicted was smaller conflicts that would utilize conventional forces and the need to support troops on the ground during prolonged, low-intensity engagements. And while faster is usually better in air combat, in close air support you are trying to drop bombs on enemy troops that are usually close to friendly forces. So being able to positively identify enemy locations is critical in preventing friendly fire. You need to be low and slow, a need that the Air Force had neglected for a few decades. The lack of a dedicated close air support platform was somewhat evident in the Korean War. However, there were still many piston-engine World War II-era fighters that could fulfill this role. By the time of the outbreak of the Vietnam War, aircraft that were initially designed as fighters such as the F-105 and F-4s were being pressed into close air support roles and were simply too fast and lacked time on station to be effective on small groups of enemies that were well hidden. At this time, the helicopter was proving to be an invaluable transport option, with some examples being pressed into service as gunships, but even dedicated cast platforms like the Cobra could not carry heavier munitions and were vulnerable to small arms fire. Also during Vietnam, the A-37 Dragonfly and A-1 Sky Raider were used as cast aircraft. 
The A-37 was faster but could carry fewer bombs and not remain on station for long. The A-1 Sky Raider was slower but lightly armored. In fact, during the course of the Vietnam War, over 250 Sky Raiders were lost, mostly due to small arms and light anti-aircraft fire from the ground. A study conducted around this time concluded that the Air Force needed an upgraded A-1 that would be faster, more heavily armed, and able to remain on station for prolonged periods of time. And able to remain on station for prolonged periods of time. As a result, in 1966, General John P. McConnell, Chief of Staff of the USAF, ordered that a specialized CAS aircraft be designed, developed, and produced. This led to the Attack Experimental, or AX, program, which included conversations with Sky Raider pilots operating in Vietnam. The conclusion was that the new aircraft needed to have low-speed maneuverability, a long loiter time, extreme survivability, and massive cannon firepower. By 1970, the Air Force had put out a more detailed request for the aircraft. The increasing threat of Soviet armed forces in all-weather attack operations had updated requirements, which now included that the aircraft would be designed specifically for the 30mm rotary cannon. The requirements also included a takeoff distance of 4,000 feet, a maximum speed of 460 miles an hour, a 285-mile combat radius, and the ability to carry an external load of 16,000 pounds. All of this had to be included on an aircraft that cost just under $1.5 million, or about $9 million in today's dollars. Several companies submitted proposals, and in the end, Northrop and Fairchild Republic were chosen to submit prototypes. Northrop's entry was the YA-9A. The YA-9A was a shoulder-wing design, which used the less powerful Lycoming YF-102 engine. These engines were mounted underneath the wing root, and the airplane could have also accommodated the more powerful General Electric TF-34. The YA-9A design included an offset nose gear, and while test pilots said it had fighter-like handling, it ultimately lost to the second entry, Republic Fairchild's YA-10. The first two YA-10 prototypes were built at the Republic factory in Farmingdale, New York, and first flew on the 10th of May, 1972. Production A-10s were then built by Fairchild in Hagerstown, Maryland. The 30mm cannon that was to accompany the new aircraft needed to have a high rate of fire, 4,000 rounds per minute, along with a high muzzle velocity. General Electric was chosen to build the GAUA cannon in June of 1973. Production of the A-10 ran from 1976 to 1984, with over 700 examples being built. And as far as the official name, the A-10 developed from the A-1 Sky Raider, which developed from the P-47. The P-47 was a fierce ground attack airplane in World War II, and its name was the Thunderbolt. So you can say that the A-10 was named after its grandfather, the P-47 Thunderbolt. The Air Force designated the A-10 the Thunderbolt II. However, as far as the popular nickname Warthog, the story goes that the A-10 was the last Republic-built aircraft. The Republic F-84 was nicknamed the Hog while the F-84F was nicknamed the Super Hog, and the F-105 was named Ultra Hog. So when the A-10 was introduced, it was designated Warthog. As you can imagine, that's a lot of hogs. The first unit to receive the A-10 was the 355th Tactical Training Wing. As far as countries that operate it, the A-10 is exclusively operated by the United States. Specifically, the A-10 is flown by the United States Air Force Air Reserve Command, and Air National Guard. Looking back on the A-10's legacy, the A-10 achieved combat readiness all the way back in 1977. To put that date into perspective, that is the same date that the original Star Wars movie premiered. The Cold War was in full swing, 
and the threat of a Soviet ground invasion was very real. As a result, A-10s were deployed all over the world, including places like Germany, South Korea, Alaska, and England. Initially, pilots did not want to fly the A-10, as it was slow and not as good-looking as fighters. In fact, during this period, many A-10s were pressed into observer roles, or OA-10s, and were used to direct other aircraft to ground targets. Although they were deployed to support troops in Grenada in 1983, the A-10 did not get to fire a shot in anger as the conflict was over quickly. As a result, the A-10 began its career with a dubious start. With the fall of the Soviet Union in 1989, many pundits thought that the A-10 was obsolete and no longer needed. They could not have been more wrong. In 1990, Saddam Hussein invaded Kuwait, which led to the Gulf War, and became the proving ground the A-10 needed to show the world what it could do. No one could have predicted how successful the A-10 would be, and by the time the Gulf War was over, the numbers spoke for themselves. 900 Iraqi tanks destroyed, 1,200 artillery pieces, 2,000 other military vehicles, and two helicopters shot down with the Avenger cannon. All of this occurred during the span of Operation Desert Storm, which only lasted 43 days. During the conflict, the A-10 had a mission-capable rate of 95.7%, and only four were lost to enemy fire, while flying over 8,000 sorties and firing over 90% of all AGM-65 Maverick missiles used. As the 1990s wore on, A-10s participated in the conflicts in the Balkans, including Operation Deliberate Force and Operation Allied Force, where over 10,000 rounds of 30mm ammunition were fired in support of ground troops. In September of 2001, the United States was attacked by Al-Qaeda forces, which had allied themselves with the Taliban in Afghanistan. Operation Enduring Freedom began the war on terror, and this led to A-10s being deployed in Afghanistan and participating in Operation Anaconda. The A-10 once again returned to Iraq in 2003 to participate in Operation Iraqi Freedom. During this conflict, A-10s fired over 300,000 rounds of ammunition and had a mission-capable rate of 85%. By 2007, A-10s were being upgraded to the C version, which greatly reduced the time to acquire ground targets while on station. During the period between 2009 and 2012, and 35,000 sorties annually. In 2011, during the Arab Spring, A-10s participated in combat actions in Libya as part of Operation Odyssey Dawn. Finally, as recently as 2018, A-10s were continuing to be deployed in Afghanistan in support of coalition troops there. Over the decades, the A-10 has proven itself as a close air support platform, and Allied troops always cheer when an A-10 shows up and the infamous Avenger cannon sound is heard. Never to be confused with the sleekest airplane, the expression go ugly early has been adopted to reference the A-10 showing up to support troops on the ground. Looking ahead, the A-10 has a long history of being declared obsolete or on the brink of decommissioning, only to prove itself again and again extending its service life. Still, the airframe is aging. Considering that the aircraft has been operational for almost 45 years, structural upgrades are needed. The question also remains how long a dedicated close air support platform can last in an evolving battlefield. The F-35 has been tasked with replacing the A-10, among other things, but experts question whether a fast-moving fighter can accurately identify targets and remain on station for prolonged periods of time. Most of today's conflicts are low-intensity, which require an aircraft flying low and slow to keep up with a dynamically evolving battlefield. Generals and lawmakers seem to agree that extending the A-10 is a wise strategy until an updated, dedicated cast platform can be bought online. In fact, the Air Force has just completed the re-winging of its A-10 fleet 
allowing the Warthog to operate into the late 2030s. The A-10 is a unique airplane in its looks, its mission, and service life. We may never see such a successful close air support aircraft that is so beloved by allies and the public while being feared by its enemies. The designers who envisioned the Warthog attacking massive tank formations in Europe could not have foreseen the incredible legacy this aircraft has built. The A-10 Warthog. Fly. Fight. Win. And go ugly early. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss any future episodes. You can also check out my YouTube channel. Just search Pilot Photog, all one word. And lastly, you can find me in any social media platform at Pilot Photog. Be well, stay safe, and see you next time.